certainly thankful for the song service. You know, we live in a world where some people don't want to sing if they don't believe they're the best singer in the world, but if you go to the Old Testament and you understand that instruments were put away when the sacrifice was ended, and it's, it's very, Brother Don preached, Watson preached a very beautiful sermon. He's preached it here before in Ordway, Colorado about those things being ending and how that God wants us to sing from the heart. We're not singing to each other. We're singing unto the Lord, just as I hope when we go to the Lord in prayer, we're praying unto the Lord and asking for him to intercede on our behalf. And I would ask that you would continue to pray this morning that the Lord might uh, bless this service in spite of me, in spite of you, that we might be blessed to hear and I might be blessed to preach. And friends, we need the Lord's help. We need it in a, a miraculous way. And I think about what I've heard, and I, I say it again. I, I like to quote this verse. It's not what I'm preaching on, but in Luke chapter 11 and verse 13, it says, If ye then, being evil, know how to give good gifts unto your children, how much more shall your heavenly Father give you the Holy Ghost to them that ask him? I pray today that God will give us the Holy Ghost, that he would fill us with his spirit and that we might have ears to hear and that I might be able to preach the word of God in spite of my inability to do so. As we come before you this morning, I want to thank you again for the song service and for the prayer and for being attentive to the teachings of God's word. May we be able to be blessed today and all these things. Understand last week that Elder Steve Doc preached here and he preached on the sovereignty of God. As primitive Baptists, we stand upon that glorious and wondrous truth that God is sovereign. You know, the world will tell you among Christians that God is sovereign. But if you begin to look into the word and begin to hear what they will tell you and what they teach, you understand, really understand that God is not sovereign according to the way the Word of God declares it unto us. I'll make a few mention a few of them. We'll get over to some more scripture. I want to talk this morning when we get there about the doctrines of sovereign grace, meaning the teachings of salvation by grace and grace alone. We're told that God is omnipotent. That means he has all power in heaven and earth. We read in Romans 13 and 1, Let every soul be subject unto the higher powers, for there is no power but of God. There is no power but of God. The powers that be are ordained of God. In other words, the powers that be are subject unto Almighty God. There's no power that exists that is not subject to Almighty God. That's His omnipotence. Then we know His omniscience means He has all Knowledge, past, present, and future. We know in Psalms 39, which I know Brother Steve preached from there, it declares unto us that he has all knowledge. He knows your thoughts afar off. He knows the number of hairs on your head. We're told that in the gospel. He knows what you think before you think it. Friends, think about the Lord. Before you have a good thought or a bad thought, the Lord knows your thought. That's the sovereignty of Almighty God. The Bible tells us that he fills all of heaven and earth. 
There is nowhere we can hide. If we make our, our bed in hell or if we take up wings and fly into the heavens, the Lord is there. He's everywhere. He's everywhere present and nowhere absent. That's an amazing thing, but that's the truth of God's word. You know, we're told in Isaiah 46, Remember the former things of old, for I am God and there's none else. For I am God and there is none like me. He said, I declared the end from the beginning. Do you know that when time began, God had already declared the end? You and I don't know the day and the hour and the exact moment that God will come and put a finish in a, to this uh, work that he's done upon the earth, but we know it's getting one day closer, no doubt about it. He declared the end from the beginning and from ancient times of things that had not been yet that done, saying, hey, all my counsel shall stand, I will do all my pleasure. When we talk about the word of God, we find out that God's word is not bound by the thoughts and the actions of men or beasts or any other creature. He's sovereign. He sets upon his throne in glory as he always has from the very beginning, ruling over men. We're told in Daniel chapter 4 that all the inhabitants of the earth are reputed as nothing. I want you to think about how we are. You know, men get to thinking they're just pretty good, thinking we're really somebody. I've really walked in, in the pride and proper way. All the inhabitants of the earth are reputed as nothing, and he doeth according to his will in the army of heaven and among the inhabitants of the earth, and there is none that can stay his hand or say unto him, What doest thou? Friends, I would urge you to never question the actions of Almighty God. God is sovereign. What God does is perfect. Deuteronomy 32 and 4 says he is the rock. He is not a rock. He is the rock. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. He is the rock, and his work is perfect. His words are perfect. His ways are perfect. We're not to add unto the word of God or take away from the word of God. Why? Because the way of the Lord Jesus Christ is perfect. He is the rock. His work is perfect. All his ways are judgment. A God of truth and without iniquity, just and right is he. God is just. Oftentimes, there were questions among the folks about the justice of Almighty God. Romans chapter 9, the great chapter on election, that's the first thing we see. It says, for Jacob have I loved and Esau have I hated. That just doesn't fly with man. You know, I don't know why God loved anyone. You want to know the truth. But we cannot deny the clear teachings of Scripture. What shall we say then was the next verse? Is there unrighteousness with God? You know what those folks said? The same thing they say today. That just ain't fair. That just ain't right. Every man ought to have a chance. Every man ought to have an opportunity. Friends, I'm here to tell you if you go to heaven, it wasn't by chance. It wasn't by your choice. It wasn't by your works. It was by the almighty grace of God. And we're going to look at that as we go along a little further. It had nothing to do with how you act and how you behave. It was the sovereign work of Almighty God in the covenant before time began. In the covenant before time began. But man has continuously questioned those ideas and those thoughts. They don't fit his way of reasoning. As I preached a while back, there are many things about God we'll never understand in this life. May not understand them in the next life. If God so desires to reveal them to us, we'll know them. We know what God says about himself, and that's what he's revealed unto us, and that's all we have today. I made a point one time 
when you know that God is from everlasting to everlasting, he had no beginning of days or ending of days, my, my brain does not have the capacity to embrace that. Something that started might not ever end, but something that never started is beyond my capacity to understand. But God says that's how it is, and I believe it. I believe it with all my heart. Men have always tried to understand the ways of God. But he says, my thoughts are higher than your thoughts and my ways than your ways. His thoughts are higher than our thoughts. They're beyond our ability to understand. His ways are beyond our ability to understand. But I can tell you right now, time and time again, when it questions is there unrighteousness to God, God forbid. God forbid. In Romans chapter 9 he says, For he saith unto Moses, I will have mercy on whom I will have mercy, and I will have compassion on whom I will have compassion. So then it's not of him that willeth. It's not a man's will. It's not him uh, that runneth that go about trying to do something to, to get to heaven, but of God that showeth mercy. That's how you and I get to heaven. If we get there at all, it's by God's mercy. But God, who is rich in mercy, in Ephesians chapter 2 and 4, but God, who is rich in mercy, for his great love wherewith he lovest, even when we were dead in sins, hath quickened us together with Christ, by grace are ye saved. Period. We hear all kinds of things going on out in the world of how we're to be saved. You know, we don't preach on this a sermon like this every Sunday, but Peter said, I will not be negligent, but you always remember these things, even though you know them and are established in the present truth. It must be that we can forget them if we don't hear them preached, if we don't read about them. Peter said, I won't be negligent, and I won't be negligent to bring forth these great doctrinal truths concerning salvation. It's something that we ought to be thankful for, and it's something that if you understand it, you're, you're able to do something to God that many people can't, and I'll tell you what it is. 1 Corinthians chapter 1 and verse 29 says, There shall no flesh glory in his presence. The last verse says, He that glorieth, let him glory in the Lord. Friends, if you have anything to do with your salvation or your ability to get to heaven, then you've got some glorying that you can do. You've got some bragging that you can do. But when you come to understand that you were totally depraved, that the natural man receiveth not the things of the Spirit of God, for their foolishness unto him, neither can he know them, because they're spiritually discerned or spiritually understood. If you believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and you love the Lord Jesus Christ, the Bible says that's great evidence is that you're one of his children. We're told in John 1 and 29, this is the work of God that you believe on him who hath sent. Not the work of the preacher and not the work of a, a, of a man or a friend. It's the work of God and God alone. This is the work of God that you believe on him who he hath sent. If you believe on him who he hath sent, God has done a work of grace in your hearts. Friends, all the glory goes to the lamb that was slain. Revelations chapter 4 makes it clear. Verse 11, Thou art worthy, O Lord. Friends, there's nobody worthy but the Lord Jesus Christ. There's nobody worthy. I'm not worthy. You're not worthy. He says, Thou art worthy, O Lord, to receive glory and honor and power. You're not worthy to receive glory or honor or power. The Lord Jesus Christ is. Notice what it says, For thou hast created all things, and for thy pleasure they are and were created. Friends, that, that doesn't just tend to the natural creation that began in the book of Genesis. 
It's talking about the creation that takes place today. We're told in 2 Corinthians 5 and 17, if any man be in Christ, he is a new creation. If you're a new creation, there must, by the reading of that word, be a creator. For a creation, there has to be a creator. I can't create a new heart in you. I can't create anything. Even man who builds things, they don't create it. They take the creation that God created and they take some of those substances and make something out of them. <coughs> Let me take a drink of this. No one but the Lord Jesus Christ is worthy to receive glory. That creation is continuing today, that new creation. Old things are passed away. Behold, all things are become new. That's the creation that you and I have no part in. You know, a lot of people believe that they need to do something to become a child of God. They need to accept. They need to do good works. They need to do something. That's not what the Bible teaches. I always found it interesting to understand that God is a God of, of logic. God is very logical. Everything in the Word of God, whether it be beasts or trees or plants or human beings, they must have life before they act. Everything. You can take a seed from an apple tree and put it up in your cabinet. It'll never spring forth earth, uh, life in it, in that tree, sitting in that cabinet. If it's not planted in the earth, it'll never bear fruit. But we're told in the Christian community that there is one thing that you and I must do to have eternal life and that we must get ourselves born again. Jesus said in John chapter 3, Verily, verily, I say unto you, except a man be born again, he cannot see the kingdom of heaven. Unless you're born of the Spirit of God, you cannot discern spiritual things. You don't love the Lord. You don't desire the Lord. You won't come to the Lord. John 6 and 44 says, No man can come unto me except the Father which sent me, and I'll draw him, and I'll raise him up at the last day. He said, I draw him. If we go to Christ, we're drawn to Christ by the almighty power of God. No other way will we come. How many times do you hear people say you need to come to Christ? You need to give your heart to Christ. It's not in the Bible. It's just not. Jesus said in John chapter 40, or 5, and I believe it's around verse 40, he says, you will not come to me that you have life. Telling the Jews that. Do you think we're any different than those Jewish people in our human nature? Absolutely not. But... In human nature, no man will come to God. He doesn't desire God. He doesn't love God. That's why the natural man, 1 Corinthians 2 and 14, receiveth not the things of the Spirit of God. They're foolishness unto him. Foolishness unto him. You know, back over there, I want to get a verse in Romans 9. I was on Jacob, have I loved, and Esau, have I hated. Talking about the sovereignty of God and, and, the, and his choice of a people says in verse, I believe it's 11, for the children not being born yet, neither having done any good or evil. I want you to think about God's choice of Jacob. He chose to love Jacob and to hate Esau. And that choice was made before they'd done any good or evil. That the purpose of God according to election might stand not of works, but of him that calleth. Friends, God is sovereign in the salvation of his people. You'll get a lot of people to say that with you. Oh, yes, God is sovereign in the salvation of, uh, of his people. 
You know, salvation's all of the Lord. It is. From start to finish, from beginning to end. God was active and you were passive. Because in a time before you was a child of God or born of the Spirit of God, you wasn't seeking the Lord. A lot of people are just confused. And when we study God's Word, the one thing I want you to address is how you study it. 2 Timothy chapter 2 and verse 15. This is a verse that we need to always remember and never forget. Study to show thyself approved unto God, a workman that needeth not to be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of truth. It must be that the word of truth can be wrongly divided. And I can go on and on and I can show you many, many places in the word of God if you don't rightly divide the word of truth. That's like a, a canvas maker building a, a, he's building a tent or putting together a canvas. You cut two pieces of canvas and they fit perfectly. God's word should harmonize. But so many of the scriptures are taken out of context. They're taken out of context. And when you take a scripture out of context, John 3.16 is the absolute worst. For God so loved the world. I can show you five, six, seven worlds in the Bible. We're told in uh, 1 John 2 and 15, love not the world, neither the things that are in the world. Jesus said in John 17 in the high priestly prayer, he said, I pray not for the world. But I pray for them that I was giving me. Some people say, oh, that's disciples. He said, I, he said it was all of mine. He didn't pray for the world. He prayed for all that were given to him by the Father. That's who that prayer was directed at. He said, I pray not for the world. We'll try to move on. There's no one worthy but Jesus Christ. And when you understand the sovereignty of Almighty God and you understand where you are, that you're totally depraved. And totally depraved doesn't mean you've done the worst thing that you could possibly do. But it does mean that you have no desire for God. Apart from God's grace and the work in your heart, you'll never seek Him. Have you ever talked to someone that cares nothing about God? You can talk to them until the Lord comes back and you'll never change your mind. If God doesn't change your mind, it won't be changed. When Jesus said in John chapter 6, Verily, verily, the hour is coming and now is. When the dead shall hear the voice of the Son of God, and they that hear shall live. Think about that verse for just a moment. Many people will tell you, oh, that's the resurrection. That ain't the resurrection. He said, verily, verily, I say unto you, the hour is coming and now is. It was right then when Jesus spoke those words. And it's still coming. And it's still coming today until the last elect child of grace is born into this world. And the Lord himself wraps up this great work. Why did some of the dead hear and some didn't? Why did Lazarus, be, was he the only one that come out of the grave in John chapter 11? He called him by name. He didn't say, come forth. Everybody in every grave would have come forth. That's the power of Almighty God in the person of Jesus Christ. He knows you personally. I think you got that preached to you last Sunday about he knows your thoughts. He searched you. He knows everything about us. We do have a personal savior. In Jesus Christ. And when he called you out of darkness into his marvelous light, he called you by name. It may not have been like the Apostle Paul's experience, but I'll assure you, he called you personally out of darkness. He knows you by name. He knows the hairs upon your head. The hour is coming, and now is when the dead shall hear the voice of the Son of God, and they that hear shall live. Ephesians 2 and 1, you hath he quickened. That means to make alive. You hath he quickened who were dead in trespasses and sins. 
Friends, I don't have the ability to create a new heart. I don't have the ability to call you out of darkness into our marvelous light. I preached a sermon a while back about how many in this world believe you can just walk out of darkness into the marvelous light of Jesus Christ. Friends, you cannot do that. If God doesn't call you out of darkness, you'll never come out of it. This is the condemnation that is coming into the world, that light is coming into the world. And men love darkness rather than light because their deeds were evil in John chapter 3. I believe it's along 17 or 18, verse. That's the condemnation, that light is coming to the world in the person of Jesus Christ. But men love darkness rather than light because their deeds were evil. In a state of nature, the light had no ability. John chapter 4 says, let me read that verse. First, uh, this is in the Gospel of John chapter 4. Sometimes you need to look at what these words mean. It says uh, in verse 5, excuse me, and the light shineth in darkness, and the darkness comprehended it not. A lot of people say, well, it just doesn't understand it. It doesn't understand it, but you know that word means it cannot apprehend it or seize it. Darkness cannot grab hold of light. It doesn't desire it, has no power to do so. That's why Jesus said, no man can come unto me except the Father which sent me draw him. Do you know he said that twice in John chapter 6? It brings about a great deal of importance. Verse 65 says, Therefore said I unto you that no man can come unto me except it were given unto him of my Father. The world will tell you to come. That on your own strength and by your own merit... That somehow you can wake up on the right side of the bed one morning and just come to the Lord. I'll tell you, if you come to the Lord and you love the Lord and you desire the Lord and that great change has took place in your life, I'll assure you the Lord got to you before some man or some individual. You were saved by grace. Let's get back over to where I wanted to start. There shall no flesh glory in his presence. And when we understand that, we can give all the glory to God for his wonderful salvation. He is sovereign in the salvation of his people. That literally means you and I done all the sinning and he done all the saving. And I'll tell you right now, Jesus will have everyone in heaven for whom he died for. Everyone that he died for will be in heaven, not a one will fail to be there. He said, I give unto them eternal life and they shall never perish. Those that he chose in Christ shall never perish that God the Father chose in Christ. I want to go to Ephesians, the verse that got my thoughts. I'm going to read four or five verses, and I want to look mostly at a couple of them. It says in verse 8 of Ephesians chapter 3, Unto me, who am less than the least of all the saints, is this grace given that I should preach among the Gentiles the unsearchable riches of Christ. Paul made it clear that not only did he have a work of grace performed on him on the road to Damascus, you know, he wasn't going out to enhance Christianity that day. I guess you well know that. He went out to put men, women, and children in a jail that worshiped the Lord Jesus Christ. And he also wanted to rid the world of the name of Jesus. But we all know there was a light that shined down from heaven above the noonday sun. That's a pretty bright light. And if you ever been out on a noonday in a clear sky in the summer, that's a pretty bright light up there in the sky. But this light was above that. Stronger than that. Not only did it knock Paul to the ground, it blinded him. We know that his heart was changed. The first thing he says, Lord, who art thou and what will thou have me to do? 
Something took place in Paul's heart. We call it grace. By grace are you saved through faith and that not of yourselves. It's truly a gift from God. But he was not only called out of darkness into the marvelous light of the Lord Jesus Christ. Jesus called him out among men to preach the gospel unto the Gentiles. He is the apostle unto the Gentiles. We're told over there in 1 Corinthians 15 and 10, it says, By the grace of God, I am what I am. You know, he, some people would use that verse as an excuse for how they act and behave in life. That ain't what Paul was doing. First of all, he was persecuting Christians, consenting to their death. And he certainly wasn't look to, looking to preach to the Gentiles. If you read the Old and New Testament enough, you know that Jews, Paul was a Jew. He was a Pharisee, very well studied in the law. They considered Gentiles to be dogs. They didn't have no use for them. They didn't even have any use for Sumerians. But I'll tell you right now, when this change took place in Paul, he had a whole new picture of things. And he preached the gospel of Jesus Christ. He said, I am a preacher. I am one of God's children by God's grace and his grace alone. You can say the same thing. By the grace of God, I am what I am. That's the only way you got where you are. That's the only way you believe in the Lord Jesus Christ. He goes on, and we'll move on, and, and to make all men see what is the fellowship of the mystery, which from the beginning of the world hath been hid in God, who created all things in Christ Jesus. Make two comments on this verse real quickly. A lot of folks in the world of Christianity get extremely confused by all men. They really do. You know, you got to look at the context. This is not all men without exception. That's what a lot of people do. They believe that the world in consideration, John 3.16, is the Adamic world, Adam's world. But it's not. It's the world of God's elect. And if you read that chapter and you read what went before it and what went after it, you'll begin to understand that. It's clear. But you cannot lift that verse out of its context and have it to believe. You go to Romans chapter 5 and you'll find that there was a, a, the word all men was used when uh, we look at Adam and who he represented. Do you know he represented every human being that's ever been born, save the Lord Jesus Christ? Not a one of us can call God our Father in a natural sense, but we can trace our heritage back to Adam, every one of us. Jesus Christ was the only one that could call God truly his Father. That's why we have this great work of adoption, and we'll look at that in, in just a minute. But when you go back to the last part of that verse, and we're not, I'm going to not take time. You could preach sermons on every verse. It says, who created all things by Jesus Christ. We're told in John chapter 1, in the beginning was the word. It's capitalized with the dirt, W. That's the living word. John 5 and, and uh, 7, 1 John 5 and 7, there are three that bear witness in heaven. The Father, the Word, and the Holy Ghost, and these three are one. Jesus said in John chapter 10, I and my Father are one. He told his disciples, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father. He took on himself a human body because in his deity, he could not die. He was eternal from everlasting to everlasting. But because men committed transgressions against the law, a man had to pay the penalty. No man was found acceptable. But Jesus Christ was, he's perfect and sinless, and God accepted his offer. A lot of people say, well, Jesus is making an offering to you. He's offering himself to you. Friends, the only find, offering I find is where he offered himself unto God the Father, and God accepted his offer. 
He offered it to him without spot. But he goes on and it says, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. The same was in the beginning. All things were made by him, and without him there was not anything made that's made. And I won't take time to go to the first chapter of the book of Colossians, but we find out that he created all things, and all things are sustained by the almighty power of Jesus Christ. That's why he's to have the preeminence in our life. That means first. Nothing wrong with some of these things we go and do about in life if they don't take over and become first in our life. Jesus Christ should have the preeminence. Moving on. To the intent that now, to the intent that now, unto the principalities and the powers in heavenly places might be known by the church the manifold wisdom of God. The manifold wisdom of God. Something is to be known by the church. Verse 11, the one that really got my mind. According to the eternal purpose which he purposed in Christ Jesus our Lord. You won't find where when it comes to the eternal purpose, it was purposed in God, Jesus Christ, in man. It's always God and God alone. We read from Isaiah 46, remember the former things of old, for I am God and there's none else. I am God and there's none like me. He said, I declared the end from the beginning and from ancient times of things that have not been yet done. He said, my counsel shall stand, I'll do all my pleasure. Calling a ravenous bird from the east, the man that executeth my counsel from a far country. That has reference to Jesus Christ himself. I have spoken it. I will bring it to pass. I have purposed it. I will also do it. Friends, I'm here to tell you, in the 111 Psalms and the 9 first, he sent redemption unto his people. He ordered his covenant forever. Holy and reverend is his name. You wonder why we don't use reverend so-and-so in the church? God's name is holy and reverend. I'm not on God's level. I'm sorry. I ain't anywhere close to it. I'm not even worthy to stand before the Lord's people, much less call myself reverend. Holy and reverend is his name. He sent redemption unto his people. He ordered his covenant forever. We're told in Isaiah 55, So shall my word be that goeth forth from my mouth, it shall not return unto me void but shall accomplish that which I please and purpose in the thing whereunto I sent it. He sent redemption. He sent Jesus Christ. He gave his only begotten son, not that we might have the opportunity to be saved, but that we would be saved. We're told in Matthew 1 and 21, For she shall bring forth a son, and thou shalt call his name Jesus. That doesn't mean Jesus gives opportunity to be saved. It means Jehovah saved. That's what the word Jesus means. And he shall, not possibly will, he shall save his. Notice that, a personal possessive pronoun. He shall save his people from their sins. And yet the world will declare unto you to this day that he done this great and glorious work, but he's not certain who will be in heaven with him. Friends, I'm here to declare it to you. He knows everyone that will be in heaven with him. Let's read on. According to the eternal purpose which he purposed in Christ Jesus our Lord. And I'm going to skip a verse here, but due to time. I want to go back to the ninth verse in Ephesians chapter 1. Notice what it says here. Ephesians 1 and 2 are, are, are some of the greatest uh, teachings on salvation in the entire Bible. Along with Romans chapter 8. Verse 9 says, having made known unto us the mystery of his will. 
You read those prior eight verses and you'll begin to understand the mystery of his will, his eternal purpose, which he purposed in Christ Jesus our Lord. It says, having made known unto us the mystery of his will according, in agreement, to his good pleasure, not ours, which he hath purposed in himself. You're never going to find that when it comes to our eternal salvation that it was purposed in him and also in the man. It's purposed in Jesus Christ and Jesus Christ alone. You know, God gave man an opportunity throughout the Old Testament. They couldn't keep the law. They couldn't obtain righteousness by the keeping of the law. When Jesus came, he didn't come to destroy the law. He came to fulfill it. And he fulfilled it to the jot and to the tittle. Because you and I never could. If we commit one sin, told in James chapter 2, if you're a respecter of persons, you committed sin, and you're guilty of the entire law. You've got to understand how holy and righteous God is. And that his law demands perfection. That's why you and I could never pay for the sin. Even if we died for it, we couldn't pay for it. Jesus was a perfect, sinless, and pure sacrifice. It says he hath purposed in himself. Notice back in Ephesians chapter 4 as we begin to look at this great work of salvation. According, let's get verse 3. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ who hath blessed us with all spiritual blessings in heavenly places in Christ. Your heavenly blessings are in Christ. Christ and Christ alone. According as he has chosen us in him before the foundation of the world that we should be holy and without blame before him in love. This doesn't fit man's way of thinking. It sure fits what Paul said in Romans chapter 9, doesn't it though? For the children not being born yet, neither having done any good or evil. Man believes that he had to be chosen based upon how he would act, live, and behave. Some will even go as far as saying God looked down through time. And he saw who would do good and who wouldn't. And those who were going to do good, he elected those and chose them. Friend, I'm here to tell you that's not the truth and it never will be the truth. God did look down through time. Go to Psalms 53 and read it. God looked down upon the children of men to see if any did understand. Any did seek God. Every one of them were gone back. They've all together to become filthy. There's not one that doeth good. No, not one. Romans chapter 3, there is none that's righteous. No, not one. Our throats are an open sepulcher. It goes on to tell us that we're all condemned before God. And it's talking about man in his natural state. Notice what it says about this condition in Isaiah chapter 64. This really puts it in light. Not only before we were born of the Spirit of God, but to some extent after we were born of the Spirit of God. But we are all as an unclean thing, and all our righteousnesses are as filthy rags. You know, I wish I could tell you today that you're going to be born of the Spirit of God, and you're not going to commit no more sin, and you're going to walk in a perfect way, but I can give you a tremendous amount of examples in the Bible where it's not so. Lot's a great example. Solomon's a great example. You know, I wish I could tell you you're never going to get off the beaten path. I can tell you about the two sons. We could go on. But we're all our righteous as filthy rags, and we do all fade as a leaf, and our iniquities like the wind have taken us away. 
Sometimes God's children get off the beaten path. It's unfortunate. And God chastises them. And friends, if you've ever been chastised by the Lord, it's, it's not a spat on the hand. The Lord knows how to get our attention, each and every one of us. But according as he has chosen us in him, in Jesus Christ, that we should be holy and without blame before him in love. You know, in the second chapter of Ephesians in verse 10, it says, For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus unto good works, which God hath before ordained that we should walk in them. Do you know the Greek word used for should in that phrase there is totally and completely different than the one where God made that sovereign choice? We ought to occupy good works and do good works and be in the midst of good works as we're told in the 10th verse of the second chapter of Ephesians. We ought to. But that word that we should exist in, in uh, first chapter and verse 4 means to exist. We, we exist in that state because of the choice God made. Did you know that? According as he has chosen us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be, that we exist in a state of holiness as far as God viewing us through the blood of Jesus Christ. We were chosen in him. And God says we're blameless. Now, I don't tell you that so you can just go live any old way you want to. He addresses that in Romans chapter 6. Shall we sin more that we might receive more grace? God forbid. God forbid. But I'm here to tell you that it, we're all blamed. You know, you can't live good enough. If you think you can, then you're eat up in pride. Wherefore, let him that thinketh he standeth take heed lest he fall. Brother George used to always quote that to me about the time people think they got it all right and they're just living perfect. You better be careful. You know, that's exactly what the son in, in Luke 15 thought. He stayed home. He'd done everything his father told him to do. He was there to worship, there to work, doing it all right. And do you know when you study that out, you find he's just as condemned as that younger son, that rebellious son who went awry. Friends, all of our righteousness are as filthy rags. In your best state, in the presence of a holy and righteous God, we're nothing but filth. It's not by works of righteousness which we've done, but according to his mercy he hath saved us. He hath saved us. He chose us in Jesus. And because of what he knew Jesus would do. You see, we talk about that everlasting covenant. David speaks of that in the, uh, 2 Samuel 23 and 5, one of the most beautiful, instructive verses in the entire Bible. David said, although my house be not so with God. You know, David and Christ were types. Although my house be not so with God. We all know David's house was not so with God. His oldest son raped one of his daughters, Absalom's sister. Absalom tried to kill David so he could be king and replace his dad. I mean, there was a lot of difficulty in David's family. But there's a lot of problems in the house of God today, is there not? Jesus could easily say although my house be not so with God yet he hath made with me an everlasting covenant ordered in all things and sure friends I'm here to tell you Jesus Christ didn't die in vain I'll assure you that everyone for whom he died for will live with him in heaven he didn't shed one drop of blood in vain if Jesus Christ died for all men and all men are not in heaven then God is not just and right he can't be because 
We're told by Apostle Peter that he himself, in 1 Peter chapter 2, he himself bore our sins in his own body. If you go to hell because of, of not doing the right thing, then God demands that you pay for those same sins a second time. God could not possibly be just demanding to pay for the sins that his son had already paid for. He himself bore our sins in his own body upon the tree. Friends, I'm here to tell you, we, we serve a risen Savior, a victorious Savior, a finished and accomplished Savior. One who got the job done. Right before he yielded up the ghost, I believe it's in John 19 or 20, he said, it is finished. That's what he meant. The work of salvation is finished. And you and I ought to rejoice in it. That's something we give all the glory to God in. It really is. You know, there's those in the world who have such a difficult time with predestination. We as Primitive Baptists don't believe God predestinated your actions and all your acts, but we believe that he predestinated a people. He determined to have a people to live with him in glory. It says in verse 5, Having predestinated us unto the adoption of children. God predetermined because we were not his children that we would be adopted in the family of, of uh, his children by Jesus Christ to himself. What is the eternal purpose which he purposed in Christ Jesus our Lord? He chose us in him. We were adopted in Christ. This is all about Christ. According to the good pleasure of his will. It's amazing when you begin to read about salvation how often the sinner's left out of this great work. This is the work of Almighty God. It is. I think about believing, and I know I'm jumping around just a little bit in the 19th verse of Ephesians chapter 1. And what is the exceeding greatness of his power to usward who believe? Here it is. It's in agreement, it's in harmony, it's according to the working of his mighty power which he wrought in Christ when he raised him. From the dead. Raised him. Think about that. For you to become a believer, it took the power of the resurrection. God resurrected you from death and trespasses and sins. Did you know that? It's a marvelous, miraculous work. That's why we can give all the glory to God. That's why it's, he is worthy to receive glory and honor and power. For thou hast created all things, and for thy pleasure they are and were created. Some say, well, you, you need to accept Jesus Christ. Friends, we, I could go on with this story and, and continue to preach, and I'm going to close here in a minute. I don't read anywhere in the Bible that we have to accept the truth. Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. And whether you or I accept it or not has no bearing on it being the truth. God's truth will endure to all generations. It will endure through all eternity. God's truth will never go away. <coughs> but notice what it says about being accepted in the sixth verse. To the praise of the glory of his grace, wherein he hath made us accepted in the beloved. It's always in Christ. It's never in the man. It always is. We're not willing to go to the Lord. We have no power to go to the Lord. And yet, Jesus Christ has the power to draw us. We were chosen in him. Somewhere between the time that we're conceived in our mother's womb and the time that we die, God will call each and every one of his elect children. You know, you think about, and it's just such a wonderful sermon you can preach on the two thieves is on the right hand. 
When you read Matthew's account and you read Luke's account, there are scoffers who would say, you see there? You see there, the Bible contradicts itself. What they don't understand is the immediate regeneration of the soul. Verily, verily, the hour is coming. Now is when the dead shall hear the voice of the Son of God, and they hear shall live. They immediately live. They immediately hear. When you read Luke's account, at some point there, right before or when they're put on the cross, there's a big change took place with this man. He was railing. The one on the right was railing against Christ just like the one on the left. That's why people say, see, there's a contradiction in the word. There's no contradiction. I tell you what, when God speaks, it's immediate. We're told over in the 33rd Psalms, when he speaks, it's done. When he commands, it stands fast. When God said, let there be light, there was light. Friends, becoming a child of God is not a process. It begins with being born again of the Spirit of God, and that's the immediate regeneration of the soul. It's not something that takes place over time. When God speaks, it's done. When he commands, it stands fast. Now, does that mean you know everything? No, you can, I can take you to Hebrews chapter 5. I can take you many places. We're to grow in grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. It's a process. When a young baby is born into this world in a natural sense, they don't have all the knowledge that they're going to have five years down the road, six years. I wish you and I as children of God had the intensity that young children in the first five or six years of their life had to learn about the Lord. They learn to talk, a whole complete language. They learn to walk. They learn to interact. Their social skills. I'm going to say there's probably never a time in our lives that we learn more than we learned in the first four, five, six, seven years of our life. We're always learning, but I'm telling you, if you think about all the things that you learned in those young years, it's a magnificent thing. Don't you wish we had that desire to learn about the Lord day in and day out in our lives? He is the one that died for us. He died in our room instead. And he's given us a hope that we're told in the book of Hebrews anchors our soul. It is. It is the hope that anchors our soul. He is worthy of our glory. To glory him after him. To give him glory and honor and power. He sang a song over here. And we'll, we'll kind of close with this verse in the fifth chapter of Revelations of verse 9. And they sung a new song. One day we're going to all sing this song. Doesn't matter what church you go to. If you're a child of God, we're all going to sing this song. And they sung a new song saying, Thou art worthy to take the book and to open the seals thereof. Nobody else is found worthy, but Jesus Christ will be worthy. For thou was slain and hast redeemed us to God by thy blood. We were redeemed to God by the blood of Jesus Christ and Jesus Christ only. That was the eternal purpose that God the Father purposed in his son Jesus Christ. And it was an accomplished work, a finished work. I love Hebrews 10 and 14, for by one offering he hath perfected forever them that are sanctified or them that were set apart in the covenant of grace. For thou wast slain and hast redeemed us to God by thy blood out of every kindred and tongue and people and nation. You know, I talked a little bit and I'll close about the logic of God you know, in the Old Testament, he had a naturally chosen people. They, got all, they, they were the ones who received the blessings of God, the Jews, the Hebrew people. But the Old Testament is types and shadows. Thank God it was. But he has a chosen people out of every kindred and tongue and people and nation upon the earth. And I won't take time to go to Romans chapter 2, but it tells us that 
an Israelite or a Jew is not one in the flesh, but one who is circumcised in the heart. It takes a work that you and I can't perform. And thank God in his mercy that he desired to have a people. You know, we're told, and I close in Romans 8, for whom he did foreknow, he also did predestinate to be conformed to the image of his son, that he might be the firstborn among many brethren. He said, of them he predestinated, them he also called. You're going to notice this same group of people. And them he called, he also justified. And them he justified, he also glorified. All the way from foreknowledge to glorification is the same group of people. It was those that were chosen in the Son of God and the Lord Jesus Christ before the foundation of the world. And friends, I'm here to tell you, they'll all be in heaven. doesn't matter what they believe here on the earth. You know, Jesus told his disciples in John 8, if you study the word of God and you continuously pray, he was talking about those Jews that believed on his name, you shall know the truth and the truth shall make you free. A lot of people don't know the truth and they're not free. They're still entangled in a yoke of bondage as you see in Galatians chapter 5 and verse 1. But I pray that we stand fast in the liberty wherewith Christ has made us free and not be entangled again in the works of man, the ideas of man. That way we can give him all the honor and all the glory. He deserves it. We surely don't.